one thing that I wanted to do first was just um, to acknowledge the traditional owners of this land. We didn't do it at the beginning, but we're doing it now. The Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and to, um, to honour their elders past, present and emerging. And just to remember that we meet on stolen land. Um, yeah, sovereignty was never ceded on this land. And we need to always remember that, especially um, in this part of the series, which is about seeing the unseen and honouring the dishonoured. Um, so a good place to start. That photo is not, by contrast, a good place to start, but it was the only photo I could find when I typed in community memory into Google. Looks a little bit like Shane and I might have looked like back in the 70s, especially when I had hair, yeah. Hmm. So this series um, is one where we are trying to work out ways of being a community of memory, trying to work out ways to remember our own past better. Um, I should have closed that door, shouldn't I? Some people should be seen and others should be unseen and unheard. <laughs> but we'll come back to the kids at the end today. Uh-huh, that's a teaser. Um, yeah, they will. We'll come back to them. Don't you worry. Um, so the question that shapes this series is the question, how do we remember well as a community? Um, there have been lots of themes, recurring themes, in our community over over the years, um, but often they're sort of just in, in the background of our memory and we need something to kind of trigger them. Uh, last week, Shane was talking about a, um, I don't know, maybe it was on a co-creators camp. If you don't know what co-creators are, don't worry, but we were on a co-creators camp and we were just sort of going through some of the series that we'd had and people would say, oh yeah, that one, I remember that one. That was life-changing. I'd completely forgotten about it. <laughs> So we just want to try to think of ways that these life-changing experiences can be more memorable. And um, one of the ways that we've thought of doing that is um, rather than making you go through 1,300 podcasts uh, is to come up with statements that somehow encapsulate some of those themes um, and from those statements to develop prayers, liturgies, things like that, that might we can use songs that we might be able to use regularly just to, to have more triggers to our community memory. Um, the first... Is the right slide? Yeah. And so this is the first of the statements and this is the one that we've been looking at over the last three weeks. So two weeks ago we... Um, as it was the lead up to invasion slash survival day, we talked about our, the first people of this um, of this land, and um, last week, since it was Pride, we talked about um, LGBTIQ plus community. Um, so it's been kind of timely to have those two events. Um, and this week, um, we're going to talk about 
um, disability as the kind of third and final week in this like kind of mini series on this statement. For those listening, um, the statement is um, embracing God's upside down kingdom. We seek to see and honour those who are so often unseen and dishonoured. One of the things that Shane said um, yesterday is that the heart of this statement and the heart of what we're trying to do um, over these three weeks is to, I guess, just to cultivate the art of listening, um, to listen to people, listen to groups that perhaps we haven't listened to before or well, um, to listen before we make grand declarations about other people, um, to treat people as human rather than problems to be solved. And I wanted to talk this week about um, the idea of disability, uh, the disabled community, because firstly because I heard an amazing podcast on it a few weeks ago, and secondly because I think uh, for different communities there are um, groups that are easier perhaps to see and easier to engage with and easier to honour than others. Um, and I feel like for our community, um, our engagement with um, our Indigenous people and with the LGBTIQ plus community is something that's a kind of, in a sense, woven into the fabric of our community. Um, but the idea of um, those who are living with disability is something that we often don't touch on at all um, and which, uh, as a result, I think is a, is a great thing to engage with just in the last week of this uh, little part of the series. Just quickly before we launch into that, um, just a heads up on um, what's coming next. So we, we actually, even though we're only three weeks into the series, we're having a, uh, an eight-week break starting from next week um, to do a Lent series. Um, and our, our Lent series is on the Beatitudes. And so we're going to kind of work through the eight Beatitudes over the next eight weeks. It's worked out really well. And um, there's some beautiful uh, materials at the moment on Richard Raw's daily meditations on the Beatitudes and also, um, I'm forgetting my names, Common Grace also uh, producing lots of materials on the Beatitudes for Lent this year. So it just seemed like the thing to do. Um, the first beatitude is about the poor in spirit, which really connects with this statement as well. So it seemed like a lovely segue, and we all love a segue. And it also gives us a chance um, to, to do what we've said we're trying to do, which is throw it over to you. In terms of these statements, um, so there's, a, there's about seven or eight statements um, that we've created. I should have it up here to show you, but I don't. Um, but we're going to put them on the website. And so the next eight weeks, your Lenten project is to, to think about the statements, have a, go on the website, have a look at them, think about the statements, think about ones that you connect with and um, to think about ways that you might respond to those statements, writing a poem, writing a song, doing a 
a painting, thinking of a practice, if you're not a kind of a art, arty person, perhaps thinking of a practice or a ritual that might connect with those statements um, or anything really that you're inspired to do. And ultimately, our goal is to have those series of statements on the website and when you click on each of them, it will go to a page where we have all of those resources that you can draw on just for your own personal reflection, meditation and practice, but also things that we might use regularly in our community. Um, so that's just a heads up on the next series and on that, but we'll give you more information next week. Um, all right. So as I said, um, I was prompted to have this week um, by a recent um, interview on Homebrewed Christianity, which is a podcast that Shane and I listen to quite regularly. Um, an interview with a man called John Swinton, who's a Scottish theologian and a former nurse who uh, writes a lot on the theology of disability. And I was really struck by the distinction he made between the idea of inclusion and the idea of discipleship. He said when it comes to um, people with disability, inclusion can be a very easy thing. Um, inclusion can be just doing the little that's required to get them into the room, um, whether that's accessibility, um, whatever that might be. Inclusion in our culture can, can be a very small act of enabling someone access to a space. Um, but he feels like what the church is called to is not just inclusion, but to, to honour the discipleship of everyone and to honour the discipleship of those who are labelled as disabled. Um, so it's not... As, as I said before, it's not seeing groups as problems to be solved, but it's seeing everyone as people to be listened to and encountered. Um, and rather than people with a disability being objects of care for us and nothing more, um, John Swindon says that they should be people whose discipleship we respect as much as anyone else's, who, who we see as having a vocation from God that we have the responsibility to, um, to be allies in, um, but also that we are to be the beneficiaries of, that they are a gift to us as much, if not more, than us being a gift to them. But it seemed like, um, as we've said in previous weeks, it seems like a weird thing to, um, to have me just talking about. So I, um, I spoke to Ruth during the week who um, works for Urella and she talked about um, a man called Mark who she works with who uh, she feels like has an amazing journey of vocation and discipleship and um, I gave her, well, together we brainstormed a set of questions that we would ask him, and Ruth's going to come up and share those questions and his answers uh, to those questions with us. Thanks, Ruth.
Firstly, I'm much more comfortable liturgically dancing, singing, or doing splits. And I'm a little nervous, so bear with me. Just to give you all a bit of a background about my work, um, I started working in disability about 15 years ago. I was managing a restaurant before that in the city, and I felt like I wanted to do something that was more meaningful and um, had a purpose. So I started working in the community with a young girl who was a quadriplegic. And then I started working for Urella. That was about 11 years ago. And that was working in a service for people who are ventilator dependent. All the people at that service um, were pretty together in the sense of not having cognitive disabilities, but really full-on physical disabilities and lots of um, health issues. And that's how I met Mark, who we asked these questions to. Um, just to give you a little bit of background about him, and he's given me permission to share his answers and just a little intro to him. He was um, travelling around the world when he was 25 and he got unwell when he was overseas. And progressively it became worse. He's now a full quadriplegic. He uses a tracheostomy to breathe and um, he's pretty much locked into a body that just doesn't work at all. And recently, um, like in the last few years, he... Um, got this technology where he has a dot that he uses on his head and he can type through that and he can't, oh, he can speak but it's really, really, um, it's really muffled and so he, even people who work with him all the time pretty much have so much of a struggle to understand him but now that he's got access to Facebook and Instagram and all that, he's his brain is just incredible. He's like an oracle. <laughs> and he writes these posts and I just sit there going, oh, my God. And he's just trapped in this body that doesn't work. But he's so wise and so incredibly amazing and has been on this incredible journey of, you know, finding a purpose when you're pretty much trapped in a body that won't work for you. So anyway, I got onto Messenger and I'm like, you know, I'd really love you to come to church and, and share this. I wanted him to come himself but he's not very well, so he wasn't able to do that, but he was really happy to answer some questions. So Rod and I got together and like, you know, what, what don't we know? What don't we understand? Anyway, long story, back to the point. This is a <laughs> Okay, so instead of asking him about his disability, we asked him to tell us about himself. And for those who are on the podcast, his answer was, well, I'm just like you. I have dreams, aspirations, fears, and the desire to be loved. The only difference is that I can't move. The next question was, what were you like before you became unwell? Unconscious would be a good way to describe it, or asleep to how lucky I was and the opportunities that were available to me. Question three is, how has your disability changed you? I know who I am now. I seize the moments and try to make the best of my situation and I'm more inclined to enjoy life now. We asked him, what is your life's purpose? To be happy. I think for too many people, we're caught up in the complexity of this question, but truthfully, we don't all have to change the world. Question five was, if you were to join a community or a church like ours, what would your hopes be? And he said, 
to find a loving, supportive group of people who could see beyond my rather confronting exterior, or in short, to be seen as an equal. Question six was, what would your fears be? Definitely judgment. For example, in some regards, people look upon those with a disability as undereducated, hard work, or even a burden to society. I just want a fair go. Question seven was, what question would you like people to ask you? Things about my dreams and my aspirations, things that challenge my mind. Just because your second cousin is disabled, it doesn't give you the right to ask me about my day-to-day. What questions would you hope people didn't ask you? I guess anything related to assumptions. Just because I can't move doesn't mean things are impossible. I have run a marathon and kissed Miranda Kerf, which he has twice now. (laughs) Um, What other questions should we be asking you? Anything you might ask a friend or a colleague, because really, why am I any different to them? And question 10, the last question was, what do you think you could bring to a community, church or group by being a part of it? And he said, exactly what everyone else brings. My own unique perspective, my stories, but to look deeper, possibly a physical demonstration that anything is possible. And I asked him what he meant by that. And he said, leading by example. So as you can see, he's a very articulate man. <laughs> and I was seeing it going, oh my God. <laughs> Do you want to? Yeah, I mean, it would be wonderful to have him here with us so that you could ask your own questions. So it sounds like it would take him quite a long time to answer any of them. <laughs> yeah, it's tricky. Did you have any questions for Ruth um, before he sits down again? Um, so probably half the day is spent just getting ready for the day because... He has to be hoisted and, you know, yeah, well, because he's got a tracheostomy, there's a lot of stuff that logistically that has to be done. So, you know, and he's living in a house with another five people. So with timing and all that sort of stuff, he spends a lot of time with personal care. And, yeah, Rod, can I just say something else? Okay. (laughs) Um, When Rod asked me about this discipleship factor with, inclusivity and all that sort of stuff. For people with a disability who are not Christians or not part of a community, I really equated that to purpose. And I feel really strongly that a lot of people who have disabilities, whether it's intellectual, physical, they just don't have a sense of purpose. People have no expectations of them because they're like, it's hard enough for you to get out of bed, it's hard enough for you to just get through the day-to-day, that we just don't have any, you know, like we expect of ourselves to achieve something in life where there's none of that. And in connecting to the memories thing about things we've talked about in the past, um, about two years ago now, um, Rod did a um, a talk about uh, education and he got Matt up the front and um, Sarah, who was also a teacher, and yourself obviously and so we had a talk about education and all that sort of stuff and it really struck me when we were talking about um, you know the best way to to build inclusivity is to actually educate people about it is to educate young people so they grow up with this knowledge of inclusivity rather than this subject that is kind of far away and unknown and really not real 
Anyway, I was really, really challenged by that. And one of the questions you know, I asked was, you know, how can we do that? You know, how can we educate? And Sarah said, well, you know, it's about you taking the step and actually making it happen. And so I run two disability services and one of the services, most of the people there have cerebral palsy and have communication issues. They're all in wheelchairs and some of them have mild intellectual disabilities. Anyway, I got together with um, a manager of um, a day service and I pitched an idea of why don't we train up some of the guys to go and talk in schools about their disability and how they would like people to communicate with them. And finally, last year, we started. It took a year to, pre to prepare for it because these people got complex communication and it was really tricky. And Sarah worked in a school in Box Hill, which was amazing because my house is in Box Hill. And anyway, so we have these guys going out to school and talking to grade five students and we did it every week for the last two terms of school, and it was just incredible. Like, they were so eager to hear what they had to say, and, you know, it's very confronting. The clients are in huge wheelchairs, you know, they can't move the chairs on their own, and it's really, really confronting, and it was just amazing. And so, you know, when, when we're challenged with these things that we talk about on Sunday, sometimes you really need to take courage and, and you know, make things happen. And, you know, those guys now... They've got a purpose. It might, be, it might not be a purpose that you and I have, but they're going and sharing about their disability. They're valuable. They're doing something. They're giving back. And, you know, that's amazing. Well, Ruth kind of said it all, so I'm just going to quickly run through a couple of slides because I've got the slides there. Um, um, so this is Jesus and the leper, um, which is a a story told in um, Matthew, Mark and Luke, um, the healing of the leper. And um, I thought I'd show you that picture for a second because it's so beautiful. The artist, her name is Anne Leder, I think. Anyone want to read this? You don't have to hear me. Not that long, no tricky words. Thanks, Matt. Mark 1, 40 to 45. Um, a person with leprosy approached Jesus, knelt down and begged, if you are willing, you can heal me. Moved with pity, Jesus stretched out his hand, touched the person with leprosy and said, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy disappeared and the person with the disease was cured. Jesus gave a stern warning and sent the person off. Not a word to anyone, Jesus said. Go off and present yourself to the priest and make an offering for your healing as Moses commanded, as a testimony to the religious authorities. But the person who had been healed went off and began to proclaim the whole matter freely, making his story public. As a result, it was no longer possible for Jesus to enter a town openly and Jesus stayed in lonely places. Thanks, Matt. Just quickly a, a comment about the second half of the passage, just in case it's sort of distracting you. That doesn't seem very compassionate. Um, the, the thing that I love about this part of Mark is that um, we see Jesus having absolute authority to silence 
evil spirits to calm a storm. Um, Jesus has complete control and authority to, to silence anything except human beings. Um, there's this ex- extraordinary series of passages where we see one thing after another that Jesus says, be silent, and it's silent. And then he says sternly to this man, don't tell anyone. First thing he does, tells everyone. Um, I think that's the point that Mark is trying to make. He's not saying, Jesus told him not to do it, and then he was really naughty. Um, it's an incredible testimony to the autonomy, to the, the respect that God has for us, that we can completely ignore everything that Jesus says. But I want to obviously focus on the initial verses of this passage. Um, The whole idea of going to the priests and presenting yourself, this is from Leviticus 13. And um, it's interesting when you read Leviticus 13, often it's um, the kind of skin diseases that are talked about are translated as infectious skin diseases. But um, in some ways this is a probably a mistranslation because it it implies that they understood back then that these things were infectious, um, which is extremely unlikely. And I think that's important to remember, and it's important to remember with this passage as well, that what we're talking about with these lepers being cast out of the community and being considered unclean is not some kind of health quarantining out of kind of a wise desire to protect others from um, contagion. This is purely about what Ruth was talking about. It's about being confronted by something. It's about experiencing disgust at something unfamiliar and so pushing it out of sight. And that is exactly what this series is about. It's about that act of being confronted by the unfamiliar and choosing not to see it, choosing to place it in a, in a location where you don't have to to see it, um, someone like like Mark who presents in such a confronting way that um, it's easier for us to not have to deal with our own discomfort. And so what we see Jesus doing here is much more radical than risking contagion. He's not like a heroic um, médecin sans frontières doctor going into a place where he might risk contracting a disease. This is Jesus completely overturning that system of disgust and of clean and unclean and embracing embracing this person, touching this person, having pity on this person. But also, and this is again the beautiful thing about what the leper does at the end. Um, we see agency here. It's not, it's not about pity and this man just being an object of care. We see a person of incredible autonomy who chooses to not do what Jesus asks him to do. Um, the idea in our culture of abled and disabled can serve exactly the same function as clean and unclean did in that culture. And 
in this passage, yeah, Jesus is saying no, nothing is unclean. Jesus is saying no, no one is disabled. It's not about our proximity to some notion of a norm, but it's about our particularity. That's not to say that, I just want to make a point here, that's not to say that the issue of disability and identity is not complex um, and that we just treat everyone the same and we don't acknowledge impairment or disability at all. One of the most amazing books I've ever read is a book called Far From the Tree, um, which is by Andrew Solomon. And we have a copy if you'd like to borrow it because it is... Um, it, Every page was eye-opening for me. It's a, it's a book where in different chapters he looks at different groups of people who are profoundly different from their own parents in, in a particular way. Deafness, Down syndrome, um, children conceived in rape, people with extraordinary abilities, the autistic, looks at criminality, looks at all of these different um, categories. But he talks a lot about the fact that we need a new kind of quantum mechanics of disability and identity. You know, just as with quantum mechanics, it says that, a, that light can be a wave and a particle, and it depends what questions you ask of light as to what answer you get and how it behaves. That we need the same kind of sophisticated language when we talk about things like Down syndrome, things like deafness, and go to acknowledge disability but also celebrate identity. It's incredibly complex. So in saying that no one is disabled, we're not creating some kind of violent equality uh, where the struggles, the very particular struggles that people have in their lives are not acknowledged. The fact that it takes someone half a day just to get ready for the day is still acknowledged. It's not about this kind of violent flattening of the playing field, but it's about seeing and encountering people in their particularity. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm going to do a teach. In the last day or two, I was driving along um, the street and uh, just to my left, I happened to see walking along the street a rather enlarged stroller. And uh, as the crowd parted, I saw this body of a boy, quite twisted, um, his face and his body, and this beautiful man pushing him. And I thought, how does a parent cope when, you know, all their expectations are for a beautiful baby that's well, um, that's formed beautifully and is going to achieve in life. And then this child, you have this child. And I couldn't help wondering, there must be so many people out there that are cut off and lonely as parents or as carers of these people because we go on our own way. We're too busy to take time to um, find out how, they, how they're coping. And I know that to have a child like that sometimes breaks up marriages and and there's lots of uh, problems associated with it. Sorry, I, I just felt that, you know, another, it was just like this cameo of this, this beautiful man pushing this stroller through the crowd of, and the people parted. And it, yeah, it just really touched my heart to see it. Thanks for saying that, Pam, because it, it, one of the most beautiful things about this book, Far From The Tree, is, is the stories of parents. Um, and one thing that... that Andrew Solomon deals with beautifully is that whole issue of parents coming to terms with this profoundly unexpected um, child that they're given and how often 
on top of their own struggles with that is this layer of shame that they feel because they can't immediately rise to the challenge of celebrating their child's identity. They're not given time to grieve the child that they were expecting. So I, I just I can't recommend that book more highly. It is such a, a beautiful journey and so beautifully written. He's a beautiful writer. Uh, if you've read any of his stuff, you should read all of it. Um, so yeah, borrow it. I've got my own copy, so if, if more than one person want it, I can lend it to you as well. Um, we're almost done, everyone. Um, this is a nice quote. This is, who posted this? It was um, Kimika posted a, a really interesting article um, this week. This is a quote from it. I like make kin, not babies. But um, the, the first one's really the key. This idea of making kin across divides of species, nation, gender, and other borders is perhaps the most urgent task today. And it just struck me that that's, that is what Jesus is doing with the leper. Jesus is making the leper kin, making the leper family. And I think, I think this quote is right. I think, um, and it's really striking in a community like ours, where we don't, we don't have a lot of nuclear families here. Um, this is a wonderful place for us to experiment with making kin with each other across all sorts of different boundaries. I just want to finish with one other quick story that John Swindon shares. Um, I don't know if you know about the, the Lash community, but it's a, um, a community started by a man called Jean Vanier who creates households where there are um, people often with very profound intellectual disabilities and then people who um, do not have disabilities who live together. And I love the terminology that they use in those communities. They talk about um, core members, who are the people with the intellectual disabilities, and assistants, the people who don't. It's this fantastic overturning of that kind of hierarchy. And he tells, because in a sense we've told us the story of Mark, who is trapped in his body, but whose kind of um, cognitive function is completely unimpaired. Um, but John Swindon talks about a German assistant in a large community. And one of his jobs was to take one of the core members of the household to mass every week. Um, and he hated it. He wasn't a believer himself and it felt like an ordeal every week to take this core member to, to mass. But then after a year, this, uh, the core member of the household died unexpectedly. And afterwards, the volunteer realised how much he missed participating in the sacrament. The whole time he thought he had been doing something for the core member of the community, but it was the opposite. That the gift had been from the core member of the community to, his, to him. Um, and as well as um, reading Far From the Tree, I'd really recommend listening to that episode. I can give you the details. Just talking, because he talks in really profound ways about the notion of vocation how you can have vocation without language, um, how you can have identity without language, how you can live faith without being able to articulate belief. And I think all of, all of these realities are really confronting for us, but really important things to engage with. So I'm going to finish with um, a prayer. So a couple of weeks ago, I wrote 
a prayer um, based on um, the statements that we are going to um, work through in this series after our Lent break. And um, so this is the one I wrote a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'll just read it for those listening. Loving God, we look for the coming of your upside-down kingdom. Please make a way for your kingdom to come today. Open our eyes to see it. Help us to see and honour all those who are so often unseen and dishonoured. We look for your justice and love in our world. Help us to see what your work of justice and love looks like for us here today. Call us to doubt so that faith may take new forms. Make us a well of life-giving water, not a walled city. Make us a beloved community who carry each other's burdens. Help us to be custodians of this place like those who came before us. And may we always honour its original custodians. And please unify us without bruising the beauty of our diversity. I thought of that line before, Terry-Ann, when you were speaking. Um, But as I warned you, um, the kids are going to return, not physically, luckily, um, but in the form of a prayer. (laughs) Um, I just realised that this prayer excludes my own children, and I didn't think that that was very fair. So um, this week, Tilly and I... um, created a new version of this that, that she could make sense of. Um, so that's this one here. Um, so I invite you just to, to read that yourself, and uh, if you feel comfortable, in a minute we're going to say it together. Um, this is a prayer that the kids today are looking at and discussing, and they're going to start drawing some pictures and some responses to this prayer, and in a couple of months' time, we'll probably do a you know, afterwards a reflection on this on this prayer with their help. But have a little look at it. I'll stop talking. Okay, let's pray. Loving God, we know that you want a world where the poor and weak people are equal to the rich and powerful people. Please make the world like that today. Help us to see who needs to be helped and help us to love people who aren't loved. We want a world that is fair and full of love and kindness. Show us how you are trying to make the world around us fair and kind. Give us the courage to ask you difficult questions and the imagination to expect surprising answers. We want to be a church that makes everyone feel loved and important. We want to be a church that helps people when they need help. Help us to take care of the earth, especially the places where we live, just like the way Aboriginal people looked after the places where they lived. Help us to be as close as a family, but remember that we are all different, and that's okay. Amen.